0: Hi everybody and welcome to the Weekly Word Podcast. I'm Chris Hout, a coach, and this is episode 119. And it's interesting because here I am without power for the last three days. Started on Saturday afternoon and in the meantime, it's Monday afternoon. And I thought I would get so much work done with regards to podcasting and diving into it. But Unfortunately, there's a lot of other things that happen when the power is out, meaning the kids have no activities (laughs) and plans. So we're trying to work around that. Everything takes a little bit longer, the dogs and so forth, as well as maintaining a house with no power. So um, what I'm going to do this week, and in order to stay on top of the podcasting, of course, get into a few questions. But I actually had a really, really nice conversation with a gentleman this past week, Ryan. And I think you all will enjoy the conversation with him because it dives into not only some preseason planning and some last-second stuff, but also some... Technical aspects of cycling and how to prepare for self curated events. And it also had a very balanced approach when it comes to the three legged stool and all the things we talk about on the podcast, but how to make it work in a real world environment with somebody who does travel, who does have kids, who does have a busy life, and sort of trying to continue to progress as the endurance athletes we all are. And that's the other thing, too, here is that. You know, last week at this time, well, a little bit over a week ago, I was at 29029 Vermont. And that's part of that event that I enjoy so much and why I come back quite invigorated, excited, happy about my coaching and what I'm doing for a living. And that is helping, in this case, 200 plus people. I think the max amount of people allowed in the event is 250. So I think 225 or 220 show up at the start line. And it's been wonderful because I get to have the opportunity to walk 200, let's say, athletes through their first, well, okay, again, let's take that down a notch, maybe 100 athletes through their first ultra endurance adventure and watching them light up with confidence and joy and experience and understand that on the other side of this adventure, there's limitless possibilities because you've done something for 30 hours for 28 hours for 36 hours and so then you take a totally different perspective towards what you're going to do next and you enjoyed it so much that you will do something next you see 29029 is so different in that aspect is one it's by far a huge entry point into ultra endurance adventures I mean, there's nobody basically um, that does it under 17 hours, 18 hours. That's very, very hard to do. You basically have to run it, uh, not run it, but you're you're quite rushed. So here you are for 17 plus hours. So that's for the the best, fittest athletes doing it. And again, this isn't a race. There is no finish line. You just continue to ascend the mountain until you get the, um, you know, the mountain ascents that you want let's say um denali and kilimanjaro they're all corresponding number of ascents and then finally you get to in different locations different amount of ascents you get to twenty nine thousand twenty nine feet of ascending and that's everest right and so it's you get to dive into an ultra endurance adventure it's like an entry gateway and get to experiences experience it 100% right there in a controlled environment. There's aid stations, you know, two of them, right on the course there within a mile and a half of a course. As you're hiking, it takes about an hour, hour and 15, hour and a half, depends on the location, to get up the mountain. So you have aid, you have water, you have first aid, you're safe, you have the gondola going above you because it's usually the the, the downhill portion that's right under the gondola you have people cheering on from the gondola there's music in some of the gondolas with like disco gondi as they call it and there's a gratitude gondola where every time you get in that one you put up post-it notes with gratitude and so forth and again most aren't doing this in under 24 hours so you're doing something all day all night and in many cases way into the next day and so it is it is a beautiful I know I'm biased. I'm affiliated with them um, in that I work with them. Um, But I really like it because it gives people a taste of ultra endurance adventure. Because it is an adventure. It's something new. You've never done it. And you go in as one person and you come out as another person. That to me is an experience. And when you take an experience like that, you grow from it. And it is permanently... Um, wired in your brain now of having felt what it is like to do something for 12 24 36 hours through the night and into the next day you get to see two sunrises in this event we start at 6 a.m on day one and you go through the night and get to see another sunrise and hiking at night is a completely surreal and different experience as well and there's music at the aid stations and in vermont there's only one but there's the top obviously and the bottom as well and some announcers and each time you ascend you brand the board and you can see how you're working your way up um, your ascending list and all the mountains you're looking to achieve and so i come back invigorated from these events because I see the glow and the shine and the smile and the joy and the vitality in people's lives of doing this. And I get to hike with them as a coach on the mountain and introduce them and talk to them and, you know, listen to them how they're experiencing their first ultra endurance event. And it's fun. It sends me home knowing I'm doing what I'm passionate about doing, what I love doing, what I knew I wanted to do, but this event just underscores, underlines that, and I'm very, very happy about that. But that being said, that's what I also try to bring apart, bring bring across in this podcast, that we all, we all can do ultra-endurance adventures. We all can, and we've talked about this plenty, that it's just a question of, what you sign up for, and how much time you give yourself to achieve your future outcome. Now, we've talked, of course, in principle about a few things with regards to, are you signing up for the result? (laughs) Or are you signing up for the process when you hit enter on the 50k 50 miler 100 miler 70.3 iron man ultraman um 10k swim five mile swim 10 mile swim open ocean swim um a combination of all those uh um a furnace creek bike ride um you know a, a ram across america a coast ride any of those things whatever we want to do whatever the ultra endurance adventure is whatever is self-curated you'll hear on today's podcast how it's self-curated um And you've heard on other examples of self-curated adventures. That's the fun, right? Um, But anyway, on any of that is that when you sign up for it, are you signing up for the result? Will you close your eyes and you see yourself crossing a finish line or doing the event or completing the event? You have to be signing up for the process with it, right? That's what we've talked about in the past. You have to sign up. And be understanding or aware of the process to get to the outcome to get to the result so often in today's world so sorry for being the grumpy guy on the porch get off my lawn but so often today we sign up for the result that's the outcome out there that we want that's the result out there i want to make a million dollars i want to be um, a fast Ironman triathlete, I want to have a family with four kids and a white picket fence. Oh, great. That's great. That's great that those are your wants, whatever floats your boat. That's totally cool. But are we signing up? Are we realizing and are we engaged in the process to get there? The work, the hard work, the grind. To become a millionaire, to be, um, to make it to Kona, or to win Kona, whatever your goal is, to do a seventy point three, to do a fifty miler, to do, to get to a family of four that is comfortable with the white picket fence, right? Might be the same thing as a millionaire in that respect. Um, but again, those are the results. What's the process? Let's understand the process of how to get there. And that's basically what the Weekly Word Podcast is. I was thinking about this the other day because I'm reading a pretty good book that I actually also want to dive into on the podcast um, and go through this exercise that the book has you go through. And I want to go through it with regards to being a coach in the coaching business. And, you know, it's, it's an ex- exercise to ensure that what you're doing in your work is aligned with your values as well as with um, a few other things. But that's neither here nor there. We'll, we'll do that some other day. But um, that's basically what the Weekly Word Podcast is trying to do, to help you understand the process of getting to your results, to your desired outcome, to the vision that you see yourself of being. Now, of course, we bec- we become a new person, a new more normal every single time we move further down that process road to get to the results that we're looking to get at. Of course, same as at twenty nine twenty nine, every time people went further and further into that event, another ascent, they're creating a new normal, a new understanding of what they're capable of becoming and being and doing physically in their athletic self world. Right, our athletic self can be. Um, trimmed and pruned and taken care of so that it bleeds into our overall self we've talked about that but the weekly word podcast my coaching all that is designed to help you go through the process the work the grind of getting your ultra endurance outcomes results that you're looking for now whether that's a placing a time and you know whatever finishing that's that's different and each one of you have you has your own result that you're looking to get to when you hit enter and you see yourself completing the event you have a vision of what that is now i need you the athlete to be focused with regards to a vision of the process as well <clears throat> excuse me because as i talk about in this in this um interview with ryan there's a lot of things happen, happening from a neuro, um, um, uh, from a brain aspect, <laughs> I'm missing the words right now, um, that when we envision something, when we close our eyes and see ourselves doing something, completing something, being somewhere, um, following through on something, living through something, it's the same thing. Our brain lights up the exact same way, very similarly. They can't really tell the difference on brain scans, fMRIs of if you're actually doing the experience. So you have this opportunity in training to actually teach your brain what it will be like on race day, event day, expedition day, right? And then you get to do it again live. So your brain just did it twice. It doesn't know the difference. That's the crazy thing about our brain. Our brain has a hard time seeing the difference between real life and envisioned life, fictional story world life. They talk about it in Sapiens, that book, with regards to how us humans are able to tell stories of things that haven't happened yet, and therefore create our future, create our narrative, create what outcomes we want as a larger group, as a larger whole. Well, in this case, we're able to envision, feel, think, see things in the future, our athletic events, our outcomes, our results, our finish lines, before they've even happened. And that's the one, that's such a unique thing us as humans have. And so let's, us, listeners, all of us, it's what I do a lot, Take advantage of that amazing power that we have and see ourselves going not only through the process, but what it will be like racing it, what it will feel like, what will go wrong, what we can avoid, how we can envision ourselves doing it. That's why some of the best athletes in the world, they already know their outcome before the race even happens. I love it, but every year, four years with the skiers at the Winter Olympics and you see them on top of the mountain with their eyes closed, their goggles and helmet already on before they're doing the downhill and they're already skiing the course and they're already feeling it and they're already in the tuck and they're moving and swaying from side to side, going 100% through every inch of that course and then they do it live. And they already know what's around the next turn. They know how they want to feel. They know what they want to focus on. They know how they want to execute it. They will know how they want to stand the tuck over that, um, you know, roller. They know exactly what the mountain will be. the best, therefore make less mistakes and win. Those that can't really put themselves into that place, they overshoot that jump they go off course they miss that flag um and turn wrong or crash whatever um and very similarly in, in our endurance events now of course we can't sit there and do a 10-hour <laughs> vision of our Ironman or a 10-hour vision of our 100k no But we can really dive into sections of it and processes of it. And what will happen when I'm this? Or how will I feel at mile 50? How will I feel at mile 30? And when I feel like this and my hip flexor gets tight and I can barely run and it's only at mile 25, what will I do? Again, our brain's ability to project and see something that has not yet happened. Now, of course, that's also where a lot of our fears come from, right? Fear? Anxiety is thinking about an outcome that hasn't, a bad outcome that hasn't happened yet, right? In many cases, those outcomes are not nearly as bad as what we had closed our eyes and envisioned. But same thing, athletically, for our events and our outcomes, you know, we get nervous about things that can go wrong, that might go wrong. The weather, the winds, the flat tires, the gear our body, our stomach, all those things that could go wrong on event day. And we start getting anxious about that, having a fear, projecting or wondering about an outcome that hasn't happened yet. Again, switching that mind from a positive space where we're in control and in a powerful state into more of a uh, less control, reactive, primal state where we're not really thinking it through properly and taking control of what we can Control. So, weekly word process, weekly word process, weekly word podcast about the process, about how we want to navigate our lives, our daily lives with other things and other priorities in order to still achieve the results, outcomes that we have envisioned for our future. And that's what we try to talk about here. So, yeah, but um, that's the weekly word podcast for this week. And I will try to answer a variety of questions here on email next and then add that interview to this and get it uploaded despite having no power and continuing to deliver as much um, new, uh, updates and information until I actually can get some balance again with regards to work and um having power back so thank you so much and uh here we go all right let's use this opportunity to dive into some older emails as well and mix it up with some newer ones so hi chris i've been a subscriber to the weekly word podcast for some time i wanted to send a thank you this past weekend i completed the cactus rose 100 miler by the way this is from a year ago i'm sorry um aside from water this is a self-supported race and on unforgiving terrain it was unbelievably hard, mostly mentally. I found myself in a dark, dark place about halfway through with some severe nausea, vomiting, and exhaustion. Wow, sounds like a gnarly race. I granny walked for a few hours and conceded a DNF was in my best interest. However, when I finally made it to the location I could quit, something made me continue down that rocky trail. I heard your calm voice in my head telling me this was, this too shall pass and trust my training. And thank God I did. Eventually, I was able to recover and actually put in some good miles running late into the race. I was surprised at my fitness and again, thought of you reminding me to trust my training. I'm excited to see what the future holds. Thank you for your encouragement and thank you for your wonderful podcast. What's interesting about this email is that this is what I talk a lot about during ultra endurance events, especially if I'm on site and can help the athlete. Of course, I'm not going to be in some a hundred mile race in the middle of the desert or in the middle of Texas but the point here for all of us is to remember that the pain that we're experiencing whether it's GI related or it's muscle related or it's lower back related or it's blister related it will pass we have an incredible resilience to ourselves if we allow time and backing off a bit, and again, creating less of a narrative around expectations and my day is over and um, um, sort of self-talk being negative, and just allow time to pass. I can't tell you how many times in a 100-mile or a 50-mile or a 100K, I've been surprised how either fatigued I am too early, I'm fitter than this, I shouldn't be this tired yet or I've had hip flexor issues, or hamstring tightness, or I could feel a uh, cramp in my calf coming on, and all those things happening. And I used to, when not familiar with it, just get caught up in like, oh my gosh, and here it is, here's the race, and I'm going to struggle for the next 14 hours with this pain, and blah, blah, blah. But again, you give some time to it to pass, or to work itself out, other pains and aches and focus negativity comes up. That's the crazy thing. I'm not saying it's a better answer, but it will pass. And what I've very much found is that you don't really have two pain spots at once. That blister goes away when your lower back starts hurting. That calf cramp goes away when your hip flexor gets tight. Things shift around in the body. And we just need to keep chugging along, keep the expectations low at those times, take care of our body, invest in our future self, especially during an ultra endurance event, invest in our future self. What am I doing now to help me because of this, whether it's injury or blister or tightness or fatigue, to help me in six hours from now or in eight hours from now? I told this to so many Athletes at 29.029 and part of my talk, my opening talk for the athletes on the night before. And that is, you know, what you're doing is you're constantly investing in your future self by not days, but by hours. Your are fueling and your hydration and your strategy execution and your ability to stay within yourself. All of those things are not necessarily for now, for this next 30 minutes or for this next hour. What you're doing is preparing and investing in you as the athlete in six hours from now, in eight hours from now, by staying on top of nutrition and hydration. Now, I'm allowing myself to get to a point in six, eight hours from now that I'm still fueled and hydrated. If I forget that now, (laughs) that that future self is not going to have an opportunity to display the hard work I've done. And so very similarly, in this case, it reminds me, and again, I said that on 29.029 29 this weekend, a lot of athletes, they're newer to this, and they would be on their 6th or 7th ascent. And I would come over, and I'd walk with them or hike with them and say, you know, how you doing? How are you feeling? Isn't this amazing? Isn't this beautiful? How, what can I do? Oh, I'm not sure. You know, I'm just getting a little bit of a blister here. Incredible, positive talk um, all weekend there. So that I was very impressed with but you know i'm getting a little blister here or my lower back's tired or i'm cramping here i always say give it a few ascents it will go away it will work itself out if you take care of yourself if you're fueling if you're hydrating you might need some electrolytes you might not just need water um are you eating too much are you eating too little are you drinking too much are you doing drinking too little can you slow down your pace take a few ascents off meaning Back off the pace, make it totally comfortable, again, to get rid of or have the pain or have the pressure point or the concern back away, and then you can pick up the pace if you needed to, if you're still feeling that good or that fit. Um, But many have a tendency, not necessarily to start off too fast, but with too much energy, too much um, wasted motions and energy and thoughts that Come four, five, six ascents in, which is usually eight, nine, ten hours in, um, that you're like you start hitting the wall, and you got to start investing in your future. What am I doing now? What am I missing? How come I'm feeling like this? I've prepared for X, and I should be fine. Again, allow time to pass. Um, do you have any recommendations on the best way to journal my nutrition during training? I have type one diabetes, and I'm often nutrition in my And often nutrition and my blood sugar control are limiting factors in my performance as it was in this race. I've journaled my training runs extensively, but find it difficult to examine in this journal format. Examine the data in this journal format. This question has Emily written all over it. Um, I actually coach somebody who has type 1. And um, there it's a completely different question with regards to how we're fueling and how we need to stay on top of it. Um, what different approaches we can take and so um, in this case Joshua I would recommend you take this question and you send it to Emily Um, and she can probably give you a lot more guides tips insights as well as what to journal in order to notice what your um, how your blood sugar is dropping and how to control it during your training as well as during your performance um, in a race so um You can send her an email. Um, All right, let's dive into the next email here. Oops, I should probably say what Emily's email is. It's bewell, B-E-W-E-L-L, at emilywise.com. So if not, you can always send me an email and I will forward it to her, of course. All right, I'm going to dive into a newer one, one that I just got. I'm sort of going to alternate old and new. Um, Chris, great work in the Weekly Word podcast. It's a master class. You inspired me to take the last four to five months to really dial back the intensity in my running focus on building a great, big aerobic base in prepa- preparation for a push for a marathon PR. Likely in Eugene next spring. I've agreed to pace a half marathon on Thanksgiving Day 130. So that's my interim goal leading into winter and spring training to break three hours. Previous PR is 307. Currently, weekly mileage is 50 to 55 miles. That's quite a good amount of miles um, for a marathon. The vast majority is zone two. I am 37 years old, father of two, since you're always looking at the whole picture. Last week, I went out to throw some speed at it added to see where I am. Weather was hot, humid, but I did the three one-mile repeats and a half recovery Two mile warm up and cool down, so half a mile recovery. I'm assuming I held six minute pace in all three six oh oh, and my fitness felt pretty good, but my legs wouldn't go any faster. Should I be going back to shorter intervals to get the speed back? Eight times eight hundred plus four hundred. Are there drills, exercise I can do should be doing to help with this? Maybe I just need to be patient and trust that it'll come. Well, let me ask you this. Uh, Bobby, um, the question would be: What does six-minute mile have to do with something you want to do seven-minute miles for twenty-six point two miles? Um, that's the main question for you. Do you need to run six-minute miles? Do you need to run faster than six-minute miles? Do you need to need Do you need to have your legs go any faster in order to run one thirty or three-hour um, marathon? I'm not too sure you do. Now, of course, it's nice to go, you know, 540 a mile um, and feel it all clicking. But does it translate to 26.2 miles at 657 pace in order to break three hours? Not really. Now, for you to hold 620, 630 pace comfortably, legs ticking over very nicely, very cleanly, very fluidly, very efficiently, that is what we're more looking for. I usually give it the 10% rule. Many of my athletes know this, that if you plan to run seven-minute miles for 26.2, so I think that's a 303 if I'm not mistaken. But So we want to go a little bit faster, but let's just use seven-minute miles as a gauge. Seven-minute miles is uh, 420 seconds, right? I would not spend any time more than 10% faster, the 10% rule, than that pace. So in this case, 10% of 420 seconds is 42 seconds. So you don't really need to go much faster than 618s. And be efficient, economical, smooth, fluid, relaxed, good technique, good form, good posture, easily being able to execute that number on a high quality track day. So for example, those 8800s and the 400 that you're talking about, to do those, click those out whilst holding 615 to 618, right? Cleanly, and they don't tax you, and then go out and run six miles at steady marathon pace. Those are the things that are more important, not faster than that, in my opinion. That's how I go about it with a lot of my coaching now again i'm not saying that's a formula of any sort and any formula of success but that's how i go about it i don't believe we necessarily need that much track running in order for example for ironman running i don't need to run 615s. nobody there besides the top two or three runners (laughs) need to be running that fast in order to run a three-hour marathon right on the back end of a 2.4 2.4 mile swim and 112 mile bike. Um, I need durability. I need efficiency and leg speed um, and turnover that I can hold for a long time. And you're doing three times one mile. Sure, you can we build up your leg speed to do that faster? Absolutely. Will that leg speed when you slow down to 655 pace be relevant? Not really because your landing of your feet your stride length and your hip placement and your foot placement and your bounce off your foot and your knees and your joints is a little different when you're going 10% slower than that, right? In this case, 655, 650 pace. So I would instead focus very much on that 10% rule. That's what you would like for track workouts. Your 800 repeats, your 1,200 repeats, your 400 repeats, and again, durability, you're getting up the ability to do it many, many times in a row. For example, I, uh, have a favorite build-up that I used to do before Kona. Um, and that was, you know, eight 400s followed by a three mile run at Ironman gold pace that, and, and the, those 400s were 10% faster. Yes. Um, and, and usually around, um, I would say those were around 125. So, um, yeah, so 85, so 80 to 85 seconds. So you figure that's 540 pace, but for 400s, you know, it's more just about the right relaxed pace. 130 pace is six minute mile. So I was running a little bit faster than that in prep to then run a clean, relaxed three, four, five, six, seven, even 10 miles after track, um, after the track. So I would do eight 400s and 10 400s and 12 400s and 16 400s and then 20 400s with a six mile run afterwards sort of the culmination of that so i would do 2400s holding a very tight range of um, um 80 to 85 it would probably slow to 83 to 87 by that point um 85 was definitely the average and those would all have about uh, 30 to 40 seconds rest not a lot just enough to get my breath clean it up, get a drink of water, shake it out, off you go. Um, 20 of those, obviously the build, that's the max phase. And then finish that 20th one, give myself that 40 seconds rest, and boom, out onto the road I go six miles at Ironman goal pace, which in this case was seven minute miles, because I was, again, looking to run about a 303-ish, 305-ish on the back end of an Ironman. Again, you can see how that just builds durability and you're clicking over a certain leg turnover and if we stay in that 10 um percent range we're pretty close on foot placement hip movement um, leg turnover stride all that stays within tolerances in order to do it um, even when fatigued so I hope I answered your question, but I would say that you don't necessarily need that much, that much uh, leg turnover work. So hope that helps Bobby. Right, let's dive back into an older one. Um, And this one is from August of this year. Oh, I'm pretty caught up after that. That's pretty good. I do have a few older ones here. Um, One, two, three, four older ones. The reason I'm not diving into them because they're almost a full episode with regards to a taper. Um, let me see this one yes and also regarding cardiac drift and then finally another one with regards to a variety of strength work and how to prep for a sky race if you live at sea level so i want to save those a little bit because that will take a longer conversation and um, again we have other things to get to on this podcast Hi, Chris. First of all, thank you for all you have done for me. I just completed Ironman Lake Placid. So this is the one from August 11th in 1239, a race that I didn't even know I could complete a year ago. I used your podcast to build out my entire training plan. plan. Wow. And it worked amazingly well. I currently feel great, which is the basis for my first question. When do you suggest to take four to six weeks off after an Ironman? Does this mean completely off or just off structured training? Well, to answer that completely, no, does not mean taking it off completely. It means off of structured training. When I describe that time, that four to six weeks, four minimum um, after an Ironman, especially when it's your first and you're sort of building into your endurance um, platform base um, foundation, long-term investment, um, I like to give athletes a simple guideline, and that is when you wake up in the morning or when you go to bed that night, what you feel like doing the next day is what you should train so if you're in the mood for a you know a, a bike, go on an easy spin if you're in the mood for a nice fun trail run or or a, a run a pavement run or you run around the pond or a lake, your favorite course go for it if you miss being in the pool or seeing some master swim friends or just having a good swim session do that so that's what the four weeks are truly for do what well first take some time off i usually say minimum off completely off two weeks and then those next two three weeks are unstructured in the form of doing what you feel like doing what your gut or your heart tells you you feel like doing the next day would it be reasonable to do something to do some weightlifting yes or occasional easy runs here and there yes or do you suggest really taking it off especially for a beginner answered most of that second a quick nutrition question what are your thoughts on the super starches like generation you can see a lot of athletes using this and haven't heard you comment on it before (laughs) you guys are starting to pick up that when i avoid a topic or a commentary or a a product (laughs) that uh, I try to stay away from that Um, again I am of the school of the old school um, approach of you drink out of your bottle and you eat out of your, your pockets if we can maintain real food for as much through our ultra endurance events as possible we are primed for better success than trying to have products um, that try to combine the two or try to um, gray the waters there I should say muddle the waters there. you um, can is an incredibly effective product for certain people with certain needs and I try to steer everybody away from the astronaut food or the um, the products that are trying to serve a certain need but trying to shortcut the need for or the the approach. Um, And it's definitely designed for a certain group of athletes doing endurance events. There are some certain traits and qualities to the product that are beneficial. Yes, but overall, for most of us, we drink our water out of our bottle. We have some electrolytes here and there. We eat our food out of our pocket, real food, sustenance, not gels not sugar just real food bars the bars they have these days it is absolutely amazing even the the um um the baby food like um mixtures on the on the course at 29029 uh, the amount of bars they had on that course um anything from the fuel for fire to the picky bars just alone the amount of products that are out there with regards to picky bars the amount of different choices you have with caffeine without caffeine what, what kind of nuts then all the just think all the no foods right and the kind bars and the health warrior chia bars and the you know the gnarly mixes and the coconut waters. And then, I mean, there's so much out there that you can get by with pretty solid non astronaut like food. People swear by spring energy gels. I'm not a big gel fan, but people love it. Love it. Honey sticks, peanut butter packets. You could do, um, pretzels. You can do, there's so many products out there. Again, um, so that's why you can get by with a ton of real food, real drinks, real um solutions and I avoid anything that tries to jump the 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 category a little bit for lack of a better term. Realize that that's a little vague when it comes to you can um and I'm not going to break it down also I don't have access to the internet right now. So I can't really describe why I have my theories because I don't have the product in front of me with all the ingredients. And then also, again, um, that's something where I know that the product was designed for a certain condition for that people have and it's now been embraced by the endurance community. <laughs> so I, I'm very careful in my wording there. I hope that helped a little bit. But um, yes, What are your thoughts on super starches like generation? You can I have many thoughts, and I am not going to dive into them, because for some people, it's very effective and successful. So I don't want to deter anybody to not using a product that they are successful with, and it works for them. And they swear by it. I don't want that to get in the way of their endurance outcomes at all. So that's one caveat. The other caveat is start with the Real foods, start with the waters with a little bit of electrolyte. Noon is great for that too. And then gradually work your way to the formula that works for you, only you. And I am pretty certain with most people that I work with and most emails that I see and most commentary that I hear at races and events and afterwards is nutrition and hydration is actually simpler than most people give themselves an opportunity for. And when I dial it in with them, they're surprised how easy it can be. Um, the whole concept of you know drinking what's on the course, if, let's say for Ironman or 70.3 even. It's crazy. To be drinking Gatorade Endurance is crazy to me. It's all sugar. It's not really good quality ingredients. It's mass-produced junk. I know, I'm pretty harsh there. But you we all have the ability, if you're doing an eight-hour bike, you have the ability to do be independent on the course. You know, we have special needs bags halfway through. I haven't raced on course nutrition in an Ironman in probably 20 years. <laughs> like, I mean, in an emergency, I would take it on. But I start with my two bottles of my drink that I've been training on, my electrolyte drink on the bike. And then I replace those two at halfway at special needs. So now I have four bottles of electrolytes for my five hour bike ride. Okay, even if it's a six hour bike ride, I have four bottles of electrolytes. And then when I finish one, I replace it with water. And I continue, I'm just grabbing water on the course. So therefore I'm neutral in drink. Now throw in, of course, food. I'm not taking, unless it's a product I know and I've trained on and they have by coincidence, I have my own in transition one i went if i'm not already wearing my clothes i put on my clothes and empty the bag in front of me of transition one put the product in my pockets off i go it's, or i have it in a bento box on the bike or i have it in the in some sort of holders and ways or taped to the top tube or whatever it is and i grab it before i get rolling too much of course while i'm rolling i grab it i rip it off where i taped it and then put it in my pockets Another easy way to do it too is, you know, let's say you have something bigger like a cliff bar, or a picky bar, you know, I grab it off my top tube. I put it on my, in my leg, um, where the, where the tri shorts or the cycling shorts come down, I put it up against there. That thing doesn't budge with the, with the elastic strip at the end of the, the shorts, put it up in there. Don't have to worry about it. It's not going anywhere. Oftentimes I keep it taped to the top tube. Let's say it's done with good electrical tape or it's in a bento box, but now I've taken a bite out of it. I've opened it. Now what? Take that piece, put it into my leg shorts right there and that way it's not in the way. But I can always just grab it easily on a pedal stroke while still arrow, and take another bite, put it back. Again, it's easy these days with all the products they have for the bike to be completely coarse independent you take on water and you take on the things that you know work let's say bananas or they have a cliff bar or they have something you've trained on but no i hear these stories of people training on gatorade endurance or training on um gels or training on well that's on the course it's like well (laughs) okay so then you say well what about on the run Again, special needs. You have your own personal picnic table at 13 or 14 or 12 miles in where you can replace everything that you started your run with. So out of T2, you have whether a fuel belt or whatever you're carrying, or there's so many different ways to carry fuel these days. While you're running, you run with a vest. You run with anything. You run with all those belts. You run with something. Even your hat these days has a pocket in it up on the... um, under the, the the main part of the hat, they put those foldable pockets. There's many ways to carry food and fuel, and you drink water, and then maybe you drop a tab in it. And the next one, you run with a bottle. Along the on the bottle holder is one of those carriers that you can put something in the pocket on the outside. Again, you can be completely independent of the course, and I know I've done it for many many years. It has nothing to do with the length of time I'm out there. It has more to do with just. Planning and training it and executing it, and therefore that's one thing I don't have to worry about race day. I don't ha- I don't wonder if that food that fuel is what's causing my stomach to be upset. It, it shouldn't. It can't. It's what I train on. It's what I do intensity at and long easy days at. It's what I do long training days at. It's what I travel with to training camps. It's always the same. So. Sorry, Uh, that was a long way of answering that question. (laughs) That'll probably be it with regards to questions on emails this time. I got a little bit carried away with it, but I did want to bring up a few concepts that I did um, work through this week with regards to questions I've received, emails. One, the Coast Ride is technically full, but if you want to get on the list, please send me an email, and uh, that way you can be on the list. I have about 52 people, 55 people who are interested and signed up. And um, I'm not taking that many. So I'm pretty much counting on many of them either saying no thank you or I have other things coming up or the weather or I don't have the fitness or you know my buddy has um, a toenail that doesn't work properly and therefore I have to stay home, whatever it is. Um, until people put the deposit down and join... And sign up and pass the no refund date. I don't count numbers. So, the trail camp, um, trail running camp. I am. So I've gotten a few inquiries about this, a fair amount. This will be the first year that I do a run camp, a trail running camp in Telluride. Um, It is going to be an adventure. It's going to be an endurance adventure. Why? Because um, what Emily and I are going to do, which we're going to lead runs fun runs long runs mountain runs scrambles in oh i just got power back sweet well that's exciting and i don't want to get too distracted here you know turning on all my devices again um so the trail running camp is all about an adventure and uh, with five or six or eight or ten people that come to Telluride and want to go on long mountain runs with us. Um, I already have four or five people that are definitely coming. And so therefore with the group, um, we stay in Telluride. We venture out cloverleaf type in all directions, fun runs in the area. I have a few people that live there that know the trails very well. Um, So they will be great guides, fun dinners, and overall just have a good, four or five days in telluride of running Um, we can't do it too long too much because again you can't pound your body for six seven days in a row like that on those type of climbs mountains up and down and that type of um, work but it should be an adventure that we all have a fun time get to experience amazing beauty amazing trails at altitude um, amazing workouts with regards to them some of them being shorter some of them being longer Um, we'll have different groups that'll go different lengths and so forth so overall should be a really fun couple of days and i'm thinking um, late june early july so wanted to clarify that so now that i have my power back i am going to uh, do the quick intro for ryan's conversation on our consult and as you can hear by the conversation we dive right into it with regards to his marathon and what he was prepping for, but also where he wants to take his training after a year of structured events into more self-curated as well as adventures using his endurance that he'll build up over the winter and his motivation and how we balance the three-legged stool and so forth. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with Ryan and I will try to get back on a podcast right away in a couple of days it's monday here on the west coast just got power back it's supposed to um, pop back out again tomorrow because of high winds again and you know a lot of the state is burning so for us to lose power is the least of my concerns we would uh we want everybody to be safe and want to avoid any fires any more fires and want to keep it as logistically safe on the roads as well for all those people who have been evacuated And um, yeah, we're back to the same conversation we had last year at this time with regards to what those firemen and those first responders and those wildland firefighters are going through and their immense, immense endurance ability and their will to help unconditionally put their lives at risk and just amazing people. And here they are again in Sonoma County, just two years after the devastation of the fires up there um here we are again and then working through different neighborhoods in the same town so brutal but all right well enjoy this conversation and uh yeah i'll talk to you on the other side
1: yeah hey chris how's it going
0: pretty good pretty good i do i don't awesome. use uh video so just that oh perfect hi-fi.
1: probably make the signal easier
0: yeah exactly um how are you
1: i'm doing better Um, I had a back injury last night that sort of crept up out of the blue and, uh, got worse and worse right up to when the marathon was supposed to be. Mm. So I was bummed about that, but I've gone to a chiropractor and physical therapist and identified what the problem was. Just, it was, it all stemmed from shoulder tightness. So I've gotten some exercises and stretches to do and found another marathon that's next Saturday. So, uh, hoping to just basically I guess, and that was kind of where I wanted to kick things off with you, just treat it like a long taper, because at this point, it's not like you're going to get any work in, right? True,
0: true, but you do want to stay connected to the fitness that you've built, and so with Mm -hmm. the taper going into last weekend, plus Mm -hmm. another two weeks, that could leave you a little bit disconnected with your fitness. So you can do like a mini, you know, ramp up of two, three days is what I would do. Um, okay. So, for example, um, since you rested into the weekend and therefore and didn't do the marathon, I would mm-hmm. think now that's what four days, five days of either nothing or very light. Exactly. Yeah. So you want to use that for probably a little bit of a stimulus here the next few days. Um, so today's Wednesday. I would run if you can, and if it's better, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Saturday so uh that's uh 5 days mm-hmm. of which I would still do something let's say repeat the last week of the plan from um 2 weeks ago so got it and then shorten that so let's say um you would have had you know 7 days in that plan for that was 2 weeks out instead take the key concepts um and put those into the 5 days Okay the reason being one is it's not a big concern because you come in so rested that the mm-hmm. five days of doing something again two weeks out is only going to is not going to stress you that much. Mm-hmm. And two, because it's extending it out, I would even take the key workout, whatever that is and make it even longer just one day um, So I'm not sure if you had like another 10 mile run or eight mile run. Two weeks out?
1: I did. Yeah, just one.
0: Okay, so was it 10? 10, yep. All right, and was there any instruction with it?
1: Um, The 10 was... Let's see, I believe... It was just at a... It was steady,
0: so okay. slightly faster than like a slow pace. Okay, so I would do 12 steady, okay. or even a awesome. half a marathon. Um, Perfect. Again, because... You're coming in rested, so it's not already on fatigue body or a body trying to figure out where it wants to be. Two, you're going to go back to resting right after it because what was the day after that 10? Um, three. Yeah, so do that again. Do mm-hmm. the three. So you'll quickly recover with that
1: too. Exactly.
0: And so, um, yeah, so i would go a little bit longer because, again, you're in this bigger window. Um, So 12 is great.
1: I like that. Yeah, 12 has been a comfortable, that's a a good number for me, where it's like you feel like you did work, but you're not absolutely gassed to where it's going to impact you the following couple of days.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I would do that 12, and I would even mess around with it a little bit. I would start steady, or you Mm -hmm. could do um, three three three-mile builds in there so that you do a warm up and a warm down so let's say that's three miles and then the remaining nine you can do three three and three where you're doing easy medium fast mile back to an easy medium fast mile you know do that rotation three times so you're basically only doing three fast miles you're doing three medium miles and but you're interspersing an easy mile after the fast mile in there so just you know, changing stimulus, changing response, changing, um, versus just going out and running. Mm -hmm. Um, I would want more, um, reaction or stimulus for the body. I like that. That makes sense. So, and you'll, you, you should feel pretty good doing that. Um, but a, because you're so rested and B because you're, um, focused on three different speeds.
1: Got it. Okay. Yeah. That sounds like a good... That and, sounds like the right approach. And then do your
0: regular taper. Then that regular week into the second that you would have done, that you did last
1: week. The week of. Got yeah. it. Yep. Perfect.
0: Yeah.
1: I like that.
0: Good. So, and then um, tightness in your upper shoulder. What? How did that come about? Well, I, I,
1: I've always kind of had... Um, issues with my back and neck mm-hmm. and I'd been, i have been taking care of it and hadn't had any flare ups like this for a good while. Um, the last two weeks, well, I guess now three weeks ago, I just had an unusual amount of travel for work and then just a lot of family activities going on, um, mixed with coming off of the marathon training. And I think it was just a recipe for between, it was a lot of driving, flying, different hotel rooms, um, yeah that just, I think it caught up with me and and sort of neglecting the basic fundamentals of, you know, I, when I'm sleeping in a hotel, for example, I normally just roll up a towel and put that in the pillowcase because that's more like the pillow I use at home. I kind of was like, Oh, I'll be fine. And uh, jumping on the trampoline with the kids and all that, that sort of stuff that probably I should stay away from Um, the lessons learned. And then now they, what they've identified is just that the tightness in the lats and shoulder basically was causing my posture to sit forward, my shoulders to come forward to where if I was laying flat on my back, my shoulders wouldn't touch the ground. And um, it's been years since that's flared up on me, but I know what to do now and um, feel comfortable and confident that if I just do those fundamentals and, and do this plan that we're talking about, those two things together, I should be good to get on track and then shift gears into this was my last big event of 2019 And, um, which is what I thought we'd spend all our time talking about today, thinking about 2020 and sort of what to do from here, because I've run to the end of my plans for the year. This was supposed to be like a rest week. And then I'd go into foundation and thinking about the events I wanted to do next year and some of the planning and some of the curated adventures that I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. Um, and thinking about, you know, I love the three-legged, um, stool or tripod analogy that, um, you always use with your athletes, um, I think I've learned how to build that and keep some of that balance more throughout this year because this was a big ramp up year for me. Yeah. Um, basically, a little more than doubling like what I did last year, and and tackled some big events and tackled some big PR goals that I had for myself. So was feeling good about that. Where now I just wanted to shift gears and sort of focus on health and well being and and enjoying it. I think I got. I'd listened to conversations. Um, I first discovered you, um, in following, uh, Rich's podcast and the coaches corner episodes you would do. And
0: yeah. when you
1: guys would have talks about how this should not cause you anxiety. And I'd say to myself, if I had a big ramp week coming up as I was preparing for my um, 70.3, I did, I'd say, Oh my God, like, how am I going to get all my cycling time in? And, um, that really helped me. And so I want to really put that at the center of what I do for 2020. Cause again, I've got three young kids, my wife and I both work. We both have to travel for work. It's a busy life. And, uh, so I can, I, you know, I I can comfortably say that like when you average out my month, I can always get in around eight hours and some weeks there might be more. And if I have more time, I'll do more. And some weeks it'll have to be a little bit less, you know, and I just have to be okay with that.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's back to the original concepts that I talk about so much, how we went pro in something other than the Mm -hmm. sport we're Mm -hmm. doing. Mm -hmm. And it's important to recognize, like, we can only be the best current athletic version of ourselves. Um, To try to be something more that we don't have time for means everything else hits 50% or, or is diminished. So then family time is diminished because you're thinking about how you didn't hit what Is not a realistic you in your training life as well as in your work life you then are thinking about how you didn't hit the best version of you in your family life so it's this constant circle reinforcing itself of feeling crappy about yourself yeah and it all starts with expectations we create for ourselves that are are just not realistic um We compared to our 20-year-old self when we had more time and a different athletic body. But again, if we, like I always say, if we say, all right, it's not a question if I'm going to do the event, whatever crazy adventure it is, even if it is something ginormous and that would usually require a lot of time, it's a question only of how and when. How will I go about it and when will it happen? Not if it will happen. And how is more the question of, all right, I'm going to go a very gradual approach. I'm not going to allow it to stress me out. I'm going to build layer upon layer of fitness, um, turtle approach versus hair, right? And Mm -hmm. you can get there. It's crazy in that respect too. And then the other how on our expectations for knowing that we will do the event is how will we achieve the event? What will the outcome be at the event? Are we looking to win something? No, probably not realistic. So mm-hmm. then taking the stress of expectations, of outcomes, of results, of how we will complete the event or do the event, um, taking that off the table, um, it becomes a big, big stress relief, um, especially when we have busy lives with regards to family and career. So mm-hmm. but what I always say is You can achieve and do any adventure you want to, you just have to prepare for it and give yourself the proper timeline so the prepare has those expectations in there. Am I looking to win? No. Am I looking to complete it and feel good about my um, adventure and be able to enjoy it and live it and fully take it in, experience it? Yes. Um, Does that require this crazy fitness that I might in my head think I need but it's not really often that necessary. In order for us to do an ultra-endurance adventure or any type of curated adventure, a base level of fitness gets us 80% of the way.
1: That makes so much sense. And it's uh, it's almost instantly calming to hear that. And I think back to myself on Sunday evenings when I was thinking about the work week and well, if I can if you can take the kids to the bus this day, I can do a little bit of a longer run. And if I just move this meeting around, I can squeeze this in and you're just driving yourself crazy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And then life gets in the way and you're not doing uh, it anyway. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, on all those things, knowing that you're getting something in every day and getting something in towards this was a stimulus, even in a small way towards my future outcome. That's the best you can possibly do. Now, Mm. Of course, I dive into it more with people with regards to, all right, really, you're not finding that time. Now, is that a Netflix question? Is that a wasting time question? Is that a um, setting up too many meetings question? Is that coffee breaks and other things questions? So there's definitely hours, not just minutes, hours in our day for many people because we don't realize how much is just not in the buckets. Like I... I write in my journal um, for intentions on a daily basis or not daily, but let's say weekly or every few days of just mm-hmm. a reminder, stick to the buckets. And to me, that means um, my bucket is my buckets are either family, mm-hmm. um, work, or training. If my if I'm spending my time on anything that doesn't fit in those buckets, then I'm not doing it. Okay, so let's say maybe there's also um, an aspect of community or church or little league or something like that. Of course, that doesn't fit into the three buckets, but I made a commitment to do that. So, okay, it's going to fit into that fourth bucket as well. But once you start staying focused on those buckets, um, you'll notice how much time is just given away to, wait a moment, is this really where I should be spending my time with? And... You know maximizing the limited time we have Um, of course there's time that's spent outside of those buckets commuting for example or Mm -hmm. you know sometimes creating an infrastructure doing things around the house and stuff like that but um it's all part of all right right now this is not something i could put into a bucket but i'm also not able to miss it so You know, but just learning that process is almost like a food log for a lot of people. Once they highlight it and write it down, what they spent their day on, whether it's eating or their time, they realize how much, wow, if I just get rid of that process or spend less time there, um, there is, and it might not even, even, you might not take that time. I tell a lot of my clients, you might not even take that time and put it into training Because that makes everything a little bit too tight anyway. And Mm -hmm. running from one place to the other with your head chopped off is not fun either. Mm -hmm. But just your ability to lower the stress and have time and to be more thoughtful in in doing the buckets versus just ending up at family time, because you just got out of the car from work and you're just like, ah, crazy. And then you just, you you leave work and you're at the gym and you're like, oh my God, I forgot what I'm even gonna do here. And so you're wasting that time. When you have a buffer um, of the time you've built for yourself because you're being more effective with your time, it makes everything more intentional, successful. And like I've talked about on the podcast, when we do things well, with intention, successfully, we're able to move on to the next thing way better because we can close that chapter and say, I did that well. I don't have to think about it anymore. It's not keeping, you know, like on our phone, it's not running in the background anymore because we did it well. And now we can move on to family time or work time without lingering. How was my work today? Did I forget to do that report? Did I do this? Did I do that project? Did I close that email properly? You know, so we want to keep, that, those thoughts behind the scenes out of the picture. And that's what's beautiful about sticking to your priorities slash buckets.
1: I'm writing down so many notes. Um, yeah, it makes perfect sense. And I'm even thinking of examples personally as you say that, like transitioning between the buckets. Um, if you weren't effective with your time as you're closing out your workday, and then you're having dinner with your family and then you're, oh, i got to check my phone or, you know. Exactly. Those one-offs will happen. But yeah. on a consistent basis, um, if you're effective in each one of the, you know, and you're focused on that, almost like um, the creation of alter egos, you know, like yeah. there's this
0: version of you that you have for home and this version of you that's training and, and career. Well, it's interesting you say that because I believe it's hard to stay super Um, meticulous and engaged with family and work all the time because you don't want to Mm -hmm. be a robot thinking about how you're engaged. But in our athletic self, we are to ourselves. Mm -hmm. We're not needing to interact too much and we're in our own little world. And I find that the practice and the habits we create in the athletic bucket, athletic version of ourselves, as we get better at that, that just hones our skills in the other two. And so what I often recommend is I stay focused on the best possible athletic version of ourselves with the intention, with the clarity, with the purpose, with the effective use of time, with the layering, with all the different nuggets. And then the better I get there, then that automatically translates to professional work life as well as family life. Because again, I see the connections, I'm creating those neural networks on how it worked successfully in that version of myself, where I have a lot more control, I have a lot more boundaries to really take that part of my life and really section it off and say, "Oh, look, when I left work I felt and I had a buffer, I could think about, all right, what do I need to do for the best possible next workout, whether that's a run or a gym, whatever." Oh, I should probably stop and get some water. Grab some water. All right, what do I want to get out of today's workout? All right, the intention of the workout says this. All right, how do I see myself doing that? All right, okay, that works well. Now I'm going to go out and execute it. So envisioning and then executing. You've done it twice according to your brain, right? Mm-hmm. When we envision mm-hmm. something, the same neural networks light up in our brain as if we're actually doing it. And so it, you double reinforced a successful outcome. You complete that. Now you see the whole chain and the pattern that works well together. And then you can go and, and it just reminds you that the next buffer, when you do it again, before you, let's say, driving home from the gym to, to work or to family, you go, mm-hmm. all right, how do I want this evening to go? How, am I wanna, how do I want to spread love and compassion or whatever it is? And be patient or present and then you envision yourself doing it you then do it when you when you debrief going to bed or whatever and the next thing you know you're, you've done it twice again you're just accelerating this process so quickly that I, that all starts with our athletic life
1: i uh i haven't heard it articulated exactly like that before but it it really hits home for me and it's I, people say because when I say, well, you know, getting into training and, and focusing on being a better athlete, I've really found that it's um, trickled over to every part of my life. And people say, how? And I haven't really been able to describe exactly how, but what's it been floating around in my head in different versions, um, you just said perfectly. I just wrote it all down. So that, yeah, I totally agree. Good. Good. Totally agree. Um, so if we could maybe shift gears a little bit toward um, – 2020, but just some, I, I'm curious to get just some general thoughts, and and I know, um, unless we dive deeper into specifics, a lot of this will depend on the person. But I've been thinking a lot about um, just looking at the the data mm-hmm. of myself this year versus last year and prior years, and as I think about how that data will translate to the accomplishments I want to achieve in 2020, um, and specifically like the ratios. Of time or 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 distance spent on each of the disciplines between swimming, biking, running, and strength. Mm-hmm. Um, this year, um, I can pull the time, but it's roughly about eleven hundred miles running, two thousand miles biked. Because a lot of the events I wanted to do this year, it was the first time I've ever done a marathon. Um, there was some, there was a five K time goal I had in mind, and then a half marathon time goal and then i did have the one big 70.3 which was something new for me i only ever done one and it was a really long time ago so i think that's why i skewed probably a little heavier toward run than a lot of people would or next year i think it's um i'm working on uh, what i want uh it'll definitely be self-curated but some sort of a, a cycling adventure and then the um the big swimming event—it's the longest open water by a, by a long shot that I've ever done. Will be that mighty max swim from the upper peninsula of Michigan down to the lower peninsula. It's about four point one miles. So as I'm thinking about those things, um, just if you have any general rules of thumbs on how to how to think about
0: the buckets of the events that you're training for. Yeah, I mean for you, what you want to consider um, is also where you're going to get the most bang for your buck. So. Um, Of course, get swimming consistently, you'll get um, a comfortable place where you can do the 4.1 miles. Again, Mm -hmm. um, question of doing and um, completing the event versus setting expectations of a time. Mm -hmm. The only time Mm -hmm. training becomes something of a stressor is if we um, hang a expectation, result, time, whatever outcome to it. Otherwise, getting ready for it becomes quite relaxing because you're just gradually upping the volume um, or the frequency so that you feel comfortable, confident that you can do 4.1 miles. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, for you, you're thinking about doing, in this case, um, <clears throat> almost a, a 7, what is that, a 7,000-yard swim? Uh yeah, um, yeah, a little bit more. So, I mean that that's something you can build up to pretty quickly if you're consistently swimming through the through the spring. Um, so that, therefore, I'm I'm assuming, given it's a, a up of Michigan, it's going to be a midsummer event. Yes, yeah,
1: it'll be August. So yeah, that'll,
0: <laughs> exactly.
1: Even then, they say I did a lot of open water swimming when we were on vacation up there
0: uh-huh.
1: last August. Um, and it was comfortable. I didn't yeah. wear a wetsuit. But the year before that, we went in June, and it was the coldest water I've ever felt in my life. And yeah. I've been spending a lot of summers up in uh, uh, Central Ontario, Muskoka region, yeah. um, growing up. So I'm used to cold water, and I'd never felt anything like this. So it'll <laughs> definitely be a wetsuit.
0: Yeah, yeah. So day. you're building up to you know a seven thousand yard swim. So in your prep, you can probably think, all right, if I if I get to fifty five hundred on a workout or on a longer workout swim, which is quite a challenging swim, um, as in a pool and mm-hmm. so on, you're pretty close. Um, cause again, the wetsuit effect, you're going to have a lot of buoyancy and, um, work, um, benefit around that. So, so it's a question of that as well as with regards to the curated cycling event. So if that requires, and cycling, as we know, requires the most amount of time, whether it's for triathlon or anything, you just, it, to build up, The fitness to go longer, fitter, stronger, better, smarter on a bike requires hours, um, way more than running, Mm -hmm. and obviously way more than swimming. Well, it depends. If you're going really long swimming, then it's a different question. But So therefore, if you're talking eight hours of training, most of that will need to be applied come the spring um, to something that's a longer cycling event. Um, when you say self curated what kind of distances are you thinking? So um,
1: one of the things I've always wanted to do, I grew up in Pittsburgh, now I live in Detroit, mm-hmm. and I've always wanted to ride back to my hometown. <clears throat> yeah, And I was sort of envisioning, okay, I would have to, um, and, and maybe you have some tips on this, but find some maps of good roads that would be cycling friendly to take along the way and then just carve it up into sections um, roughly a hundred a day and then, or maybe give or take, and then maybe it's a three or four day and you're finding hotels to stay at along the way. Something yeah. like that was, uh-huh. was been top of mind for me.
0: All right. So what we're looking at here is Detroit. Um, yeah, I
1: think it's roughly like three thirty by the highway. So maybe it would be longer. Yeah. You know, according to be riding on the highway.
0: Yeah. Co- cycling. According to Google maps, cycling, it's uh 300 miles. Mm -hmm. so and then you'll probably want to go a little bit more um well i mean there's probably so what you'll want to do is definitely knowing that it's about 300 um 100 a day so let's say because you're in new territory doesn't look too bad with regards to any type of climbing (laughs) no yeah i mean straight across ohio it's all flat yeah um so you're getting ready for five-ish to six-ish, now more to six-ish to seven-ish hours a day in the saddle. Um, so there too, a lot of, it's it's just like any other multi-day event, whether it's Ultraman, whether it's Marathon de Savo, whether it's um, um, a variety of different cycling events, you're simulating the distance by putting together two, three days where you're doing back-to-back uh, so, your weekend as a simulation would look like where you say, All right, this Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, because life allows it, I want to do a 60, a hundred, and an 80, for example, right? Um, or something of that nature, so that you got, you're like, All right, I am pretty close. Um, I felt good. I was able to fuel and hydrate properly. I slept okay. I still had some sort of, um, meaningful experience with regards to coming back and being done with the ride and being functioning for my family. Um, and so your, your simulations will be, would want to be a part of that training so that you feel good about putting together those three days like that, um, of course, always for the event we're going beyond what our training is, um, uh, and that's endurance. That's endurance sports. And in most other sports, in training, you do the event or you do the discipline. Um, oftentimes, a lot more than than the event. But in endurance athletics, you, in most cases, can't do the full day and distance of the event because. It leaves you flat-shelled, tired, injury-prone the following days and weeks. So that's why you want to simulate up to seventy percent, eighty percent, even ninety percent, in order to build the confidence and also the understanding of what it will take come when you're on the road. Being able to simulate it seventy, let's say a sixty, a hundred and eighty. And then come home and see how you feel and sleep in your own bed and recover and eat properly and then do it again is different than if you're in hotel rooms, limited logistics, have to you know, deal with your gear, things like that. So you want to be fitter than what you are at home in order to deal with those logistics and taking care of yourself while on the road, as you know, hotels and so forth. Got it. Got so your training would be built around a simulation and that when you space those out, so let's say you're doing this in the summer and let's say in the spring, you start with an early 50%-ish simulation and then you, you can easily just grow from there, a simple 60, 70, up to 80%. Um, and then that way you know, you're doing about 250 miles of the 300 in your final simulation, let's say four or five weeks out, three, four weeks out. And then you feel pretty good about having done the other ones logistically leading up to it. And the good thing is that also doesn't take a lot of time. Let's say you do a 50% simulation, three fifty milers, you know, Mm -hmm. you can do that. Um, you know, take a half day from work or come in late one morning and do a three hour ride. Um, and then, uh, you know, do that pretty strong to make it in time and be able to still have a normal work day. And then mm-hmm. Saturday and Sunday, I do a 50 each. Um, and, you know, again, focused and with intentions and knowing what your outcome is. And then, you know, all right, so this is what I'm dealing with. This is what I'm. it's going to feel like. As I increase it, this is where I need to cover some blind spots, fueling, hydration, recovery, food, um, sleep, and so forth. And so you're building around that.
1: That makes
0: a lot of sense. Yeah, and then also you can see, well, by day three, I really hit a wall where I needed more strength. Or, you know, I think my cadence was a little bit too low the first few days because by day three, muscularly, I was shot. So let's do this. The next time I do it and my rides over the next few weeks, I'm going to focus on a higher cadence and see how I am the next day in order to see maybe it takes less out of me muscularly and just taxes the heart, which is what we want. This is why we do high cadence work um, because the heart is strong enough to go for days, months of activity. Muscularly is where we fatigue. So if our cadence is too low, too powerful, too muscular, it will fatigue before the heart does. And so little insights and details like that where you start going, oh, okay, you're learning for, this event you're learning for triathlons you're learning for running you're learning for everything by going through this entire process so what
1: what you just said there about cadence in the heart is really interesting and I've never heard that before um, so a lot of I living in Michigan a lot of the cycling time I put in is um, for better for worse it's on the trainer mm-hmm. and I usually focus on making sure that it feels hard mm-hmm. um, so maybe I need to Lighten that up and make it a, a higher cadence some of the time, which I really haven't done. I usually say I want it to feel hard and have the speedometer read something like you know where it's difficult to keep it at around 17 miles an hour because I don't have a, a power meter. I just yeah. use the speedometer. Yeah. Um So, so that's f-
0: super interesting. Could you maybe elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. Well, sp- well, speed is always relative, right? Because if exactly, you shift yeah. your gear on that trainer. That speed will change but the work effort could stay equally as high Um, Mm -hmm. so that's one thing i would stay away from speed because it's a number that ties us too much to um, expected outcomes Mm -hmm. whether out on the road or even on a trainer Um, being in a heart rate range you know you're getting a stimulus as well as rpe will help you too but indoors on a trainer even there you're going at a higher cadence than outdoors because you're in a controlled environment. So I always recommend um, 90s cadence indoors and Mm -hmm. 80s cadence outdoors. Um, Again, because you can practice your higher cadence without worrying about rollers, hills, stoplights, and so forth where you're constantly manipulating and changing your cadence. So indoors, having 90s cadence and making sure you're firing fast and neuromuscularly more effectively um, is important. And then outdoors, you're more comfortable in the 80s, where you do attach a little bit more power to the pedal stroke um, because of a slower cadence, and um, it allows for you to stay more connected to the power transfer, which means your the power you're putting on the pe- pedals and what you're feeling there on how well that translates transfers to propelling you forward, um, and so a lot of times. We feel a good power transfer when the cadence is low and we're, we're really pushing a big gear, but that's not sustainable, nor is it mm-hmm. helpful for obviously running off the bike. Um, and B, you're getting the same wattage output. If you're going at a low cadence, pushing um, a, a a gear, right, the wattage might be higher at mm-hmm. first, but eventually it'll settle in to the same thing as a higher cadence and the force being in a higher frequency so at the end of the day it's the same effect because with the gearing and with the length of the chain and the whole tooth system it's a, a from a scientific aspect higher cadence is always going to be faster and more effective because you can always make it harder so if you're making it harder whilst holding a high cadence now you're going very fast
1: right i have never Uh, been told that before that makes total sense
0: yeah yeah that's why the most pro cyclists their primary focus whether in off season or in their development is about being efficient at a high cadence we can always add more force power gearing Mm -hmm. but we can't magically teach the body how to maintain a high cadence and so with the high cadence so that's why a lot of Famous big, you know, sprinter cyclists uh, love the fifty three eleven gear. It's the biggest gear on a bike, fifty four twelve, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. even bigger because they've learned as sprinters, as Tour de France sprinters that finish and and win all the glory after mm-hmm. their lead out. They're spinning at the highest possible neuromuscular firing, hundred and twenty plus cadence in that big gear. And in order to do that to go that fast to go you know fifty miles an hour on a bike for a few hundred yards um you have to be so efficient at high cadence and an easy gear so that the load being put in there is works well with the entire firing of the chain of muscles that will support that
1: interesting wow, okay that is super helpful
0: yeah that's that is cycling at its Core, right? Your ability to push the big gear, push power while holding a high cadence.
1: That makes perfect sense. Yeah. Okay. See, every time I um, read something or have a conversation like this, you realize how much I don't know what I don't know yet. <laughs> so, very helpful.
0: Yeah, but that's the good thing is at least you don't feel guilty because you didn't know what you didn't know.
1: Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, That's great. Okay. That changes
0: my whole um, thinking and approach to this. Okay. Yeah. So for you during the winter and the preseason and the spring, I would focus on getting more and more powerful at a high cadence. So at first that high cadence is really going to affect your heart rate. It's going to kick it up because the cardio is going to want to tell you to slow down. I don't like it having to contribute this much to the workload. It's been the muscles so far. So don't make me do all this. But eventually, it will get more and more efficient that the heart rate will come down while you're holding that higher cadence. Now, nothing dramatic. You don't want to be over 100. But, you know, Mm -hmm. 85 to 95 is a great range to get a good understanding from. Now, you know, there's always people who say, well, you know, I'm able to do X, Y, Z. That's fine. There's people who are, you know, shorter with short legs their cadence is going to be um, different than people with super long legs where the lever um, of their legs is going to have a different impact. But at the end of the day, the physics still say the same thing. Higher cadence, add more power equals faster.
1: Right. And probably, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but doing things like the running and some of the strength training, once you build that cadence foundation, will naturally lend itself well to being able to add power. And as you practice high cadence and keep adding the the bigger gear, yeah. it just naturally all works together. Is well, it's right? the
0: same thing with running, quite honestly. Um, mm-hmm. The better um, an athlete can maintain a slightly higher cadence, the faster they'll run. They only slow down when the cadence slows down. Right. right? You know, you take a um, Meb Kaflisi, his running cadence is you know 88 to 92. Um, maybe a little bit faster at times but um and so is you know an average runners so their leg turnover is the same they might be the same height same inseam same everything right um but the question is the power transfer his push off and his ability to carry that speed of that leg turnover with the proper force again putting force on the pavement to propel you forward so just because two people with the same um leg length, same stride length um and le- cadence, they're not gonna run the same. It's about power transfer- ability to force to put force forth in order to transfer to you moving forward over terrain quicker
1: that makes that makes a ton of
0: sense um
1: okay, that's helpful and so I guess back to what you started to say, um, and I've heard you say this to other athletes on some of the calls that you've shared, the swimming is not where you get the bang for your buck when training for
0: uh, triathlons at all.
1: Yeah. Um, it's it's the a cycling
0: is. Yeah. That's the biggest time suck, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because a one hour bike ride is, is good, but it's not preparing you for a three and a half hour bike ride. Ride of a 70.3 or a three hour bike ride of a 70.3, of course, is preparing you somewhat. But your ability to efficiently get through a three hour bike ride means you have to do a bunch of three and four hour bike rides. A bunch of them. Mm -hmm. In order for it to tax you, cost you so little on energy so that you can still run to your potential, to the running that you're doing in training. So if you have, let's see, at least a three to four hour bike ride a week, let's say, three to four and then you know another shorter one during the weeks versus just one bike ride a week a a long one so now we're already at five hours of training right there now you throw in two three runs now we're at nine and now we haven't even swum yet or done strength right or any type of not even strength but at least some sort of uh core or or body weight um functioning movements um so you know it quickly goes to 11 and 12 hours when getting for get getting ready for a 70.3 in order to finish it efficiently feeling good um, to finish it's a different conversation um,
1: so yeah yeah I mean my um, so my 70 point3 time this year um it was fun I came in exactly at the overall goal that I had which was five hours and 30 minutes I did one uh, it, like Twelve or thirteen years ago, when it was six and a half hours, and back then it was the first year I'd ever done triathlons, and I was just trying to finish. But the times were it was, it was like forty, two hours and forty-five minutes, and just under two hours on the marathon. It, got, it was in Indiana. It got super hot, so the run was a little slower. Yeah. Um, it, the, I guess as I think about the eight hours, the trainer helps because you know you get the kids to bed, and sometimes you can do night work. Oh, for sure. You can do it. You and can you know, don't like early the, in the morning.
0: And, and five minutes in, you're already effectively able to train, versus sometimes you have to ride somewhere in order to do intervals or to really exhale and focus on good cycling. I agree. Um, yeah. And I, I've never been comfortable cycling in the dark either. Mm-hmm. I just yeah.
1: Don't
0: no. Get into that. Running is fine, but yeah. Not yeah. So um, it, it is a time suck. That's the challenge. And, you know, a trainer during the week is definitely part of it but in order to feel comfortable outdoors um, training uh, cycling once a week outdoors is quite important because the rolling of the road and the effects of the road and wind and the feel of the road and the cadences and the changes in gears and all that effectiveness um, happens on the road you don't get that on You know, No matter how good the trainer is with regards to Zwift and different courses, it's just different.
1: It is, yeah. Okay, so you said the rule of thumb is you shoot for at least once a week.
0: Yeah, I mean, of course, in the winter, you might not be able to get that.
1: Yeah, yeah, sometimes it's tough. Um, One question, and I've heard people ask you this before, and it's all kind of dependent, but my commute to work is give or take 15 miles, call it, and I've done it a few times. Um, it's, it's from a suburb to like a satellite ish closer to a city. Uh Um, some stop and go, but
0: it's not terrible. Um, usually takes me about an hour. Is that something I should? Absolutely. That sounds amazing. That's a good one. One hour. Yeah. Yeah. One hour there, one hour home.
1: Yeah. And it's, and it's usually about a 25 to 30 minute drive. So I almost think of it like I'm time traveling, traveling and doubling the efficiency there because I'm only spending 30 minutes but getting an hour.
0: Yeah, and then, I mean, and and knowing once you have that um, set up properly with regards to logistics and infrastructure, I would surely um, Mm -hmm. focus on what do I want to get out of this ride? Am I going to make it a cadence ride? Am I going to make it um, do some hill simulations where you, let's say, mix in some big gear work? Um, You can do some sprinting in there all kinds of different ways to make that ride once you know it well, once you know the sections well, where you can do certain things. Again, turn training time, in this case, into effective maximizing the limited training time that we have. Excuse me.
1: Yeah, that makes
0: sense. Because, again, eight hours hours works if we do eight hours many weeks in a row. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's the part many overlook. Oh, eight hours doesn't sound like a lot. Well, eight hours, you know, six weeks in a row, is it makes a difference. And, you know, then you, let's say, have a, you know, holiday weekend, let's say with, let's say, um, the 11th with Veterans Day or something like that. And people don't have to work or, you know, Memorial Day or Labor Day or, you know, some sort of day that it's a three-day weekend, MLK Day or President's Day. No, I just listed six weekends where, or six weeks where you could get an extra two hours in or three mm-hmm. or four. You don't know. Who knows? I mean, everybody's different with regards to their schedule. But the point is now we just increased it by a fair amount by having a bigger week built in there.
1: And I'm sure I could find, and again, not, not, not to add the stressors back in, but things like even if it's only once a week, doing the bike commute, that's two hours. And committing to one evening a week where instead of sitting down and watching TV with my wife or whatever, it's like, well, I'm going to you know, get on the trainer for two hours. Like you can find those blocks of time. Oh, yeah. Um, sure. Back to what you said about being intentional about it.
0: Yeah, and in most cases, the blocks of time that are ideal are in the morning. Mm-hmm. Quite honestly. over I mean, if I have to look at it from... A general sense over 25 years of doing this now, most mm-hmm. people seem to be best when they get it over with in the morning because having it linger over you all day and life gets in the way during during in, in a day. Life tends to get less in the way, at, you know, early in the morning.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's good. that's a good rule of thumb too.
0: Most of my athletes are doing their training anywhere from. I know, some of them it's extreme, three thirty in the morning, but you know, five to seven AM.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and that would work too. our boys are early risers, but they'll just come down and, you know, watch T V and say, What are you
0: doing, you weirdo? Riding riding your bike in the dark here. Or you can <laughs> you can watch what they're watching. Then they'll be yes. really jealous. Yeah. How come you got up earlier and are watching our show? <laughs> <laughs>
1: um So the other thing then I it sounds like the high cadence for cycling gets into the zone two running training that I know is, is sort of a uh, big for you.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I haven't done, I haven't really identified as probably as, as scientifically as I should my proper um, heart rate zones. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, what's the easiest way to do that test? I know there's probably one for... And I know we don't really do one for swimming, but um, do a run test and a, and a cycling test?
0: Yeah, they're both on my website. Okay. Yeah. So just
1: knock those out.
0: Yeah, you can uh, just send cool. me the data and I'll send you your zones. Oh, perfect. Yeah.
1: So I'll do those after the uh, marathon next week. Yeah. Okay. Um, And then I heard you, one of the recent podcasts you had described... Um something that I would have never thought of on my own, obviously. But for if I did want to tackle any sort of an ultra, again, with the goal of just scaling like a run-only ultra, um, the goal of just finishing and being healthy and not getting injured, um, you had said same thing you had told me about for the um, cycling, where you're just taking the time, whether you get to 90% of it, or taking the distance and spreading it into two or three days and maybe you have a double run day. Um, same thing would apply there regardless of what it was, so if it was a 50 K or if it was a 50 miler. Yeah. I mean, cool. um,
0: so from the 50 K standpoint, I have a training plan that I discussed on the podcast. So I go through mm-hmm. all 16 weeks. And so while those hours might be a bit too much for you,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, I would, you can still pull the concepts from that. I think, um because most people wrote that down and then just sort of tweaked it to make it work for them, but they were getting in the speed work, Um, even if it's shorter. They were getting in the long runs that I was describing, but maybe the next day they weren't following it up with quite as much speed work, um, but more um, still getting the concept of leg turnover in and so forth. So you can find that, that was about a year ago. Yeah, I think I heard
1: one or two of them. Yeah. Okay. I, I could just so you, go back to that. You can go
0: through those. But the challenge there is it's not as much because you're not doing multi-day. You're doing one big day. Mm-hmm. So you're preparing for your body to, you know, a, a 50K running for six, seven hours. Um, and so how do you create that fatigue and how do you simulate that fatigue? And that's hard to do. Even if you do what I was saying earlier with multiple days, sure, you can, but you also want to get pretty comfortable, let's say, getting ready for a 31-mile run that you can run 24 miles um, twenty on t- trail because the body fatigues different. It's a different sport on trails. Just because it's both running doesn't yeah. re- really mean they're the same sport. Okay. And so the bigger focus on running is the pounding on the body and how we're able to maintain form. Um, in the latter miles, in the latter half of the event. And so there I like to layer it where you're doing um, a big day and then the following day you you clean it up with some speed work and so forth. The legs are pretty tired and now engaging good form, good posture, good technique, good leg turnover. That will be the key. And that also give you the insight, the understanding that Wow, my fitness is progressing nicely because I was able to maintain all that good pace, good speed, good form, good technique, good f- turnover, despite having run 20 miles 24 hours prior or 18 miles, uh, hours prior. Um, and so you'll notice that in the next day getting up um, and how you, how shelled and lethargic you are or, you know what, after a couple of miles, I was warmed up and ready to go or a couple, couple of minutes, excuse me.
1: Mm-hmm. that makes
0: sense yeah okay. I mean putting together multiple days is hard unless you're getting ready for let's say 100k or 100 miler mm-hmm. because then the distances you can't just creep up there like for a 31 mile like a 50k you can creep up there with 24, 25 even 26 miles um, mm-hmm. on trails because the impact is less on trails than on the road but if you're getting ready for a 50 miler you can't creep up to 40 to um, and not have very long lingering effects where it affects your training. So you have to do it a bit differently. I see. And the okay. simulation that we talked about before, as well as for multi-day stage events or a variety of different events, it's more about the logistics and taking care of your body. It's less about this training stimulus we're talking about. Um, it can be found in other ways, but it's more observing, well, after day two, was totally different than day one or day three or day four or day five and so simulating is less about the physical than it is about the mental and logistics and the experience and what you're going through in order to then make the event itself the multi-day event more um, effective and enjoyable quite honestly if we're not looking to win but for those that are looking to compete it's about effectiveness how am I recovering? How am I preparing myself for the next day? How am I able to use the fitness that I've built in the most successful way? And by simulating, we're already in that um, you know, process. And it's like I was saying earlier, it's by simulating it and envisioning it, we're again doubling down on the effect of how the body will then deal with the circumstances of event day. You know, that's what, you know, Nick Saban, um, the famous Alabama football coach, always says is that how do you prepare to deal with circumstances that go against what we prepared for? Um, How do you plan to deal with the change in circumstance? You know, whether in a football game or an endurance event, it's about how do you respond? How do you react? How do you adjust um, and then still have your outcome?
1: I like that. This is super helpful.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, well, I know we're coming up on time, so um, I guess if I'm thinking about the hours spent next year, um, knowing that cycling and, and more triathlons and, and running will still be important, but it, it kind of seems like from what you've said that I should think about flipping the hours. I just looked and I was at I'm at so far year to date about a hundred hours um, cycling. And 142 hours running.
0: Yeah, but you were getting ready for a marathon.
1: True. Yeah. So the cycling really dropped off the last couple of months.
0: Yeah. So that makes so sense. So that does kind of make sense. Yeah. It's not that out of whack. That's okay. That's fine. Yeah. Um, you know, and and as you're looking to build it, again, you want to have confidence that so first you want to have confidence you can do the distance. This isn't anything. Have mm-hmm. confidence in doing the activity first. And then you can improve the activity. So your, your growth in marathoning, or in these, uh, or in the swim, the 4.1 mile swim, or the you know three days of 100 miles, anything, or even for Ironman triathletes looking to win Hawaii, have confidence first that you can do the distance well. And now you can start inserting and looking to improve how you do the distance. But without the confidence of knowing we can do the distance, there's not much we need to do beyond that. That should be our first priority. That's the first domino, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then from there. So for you, for a four point one mile swim, swimming that is whatever seven thousand some odd yards, if you're swimming, if you're able to swim five to six thousand yards, then you know you can do it, right? Mm-hmm. Then uh-huh. you can start thinking about building the fitness if it fell apart for you on the back end. Well, okay, I can do it now. How do I improve or avoid falling apart on the back end? Um, cycling, do a hundred miles, and now you can know you can do a hundred miles on one day. Okay, now how do I um, do that on multiple days? And it means I need to get fit enough that the first day of the three 100s doesn't take a lot out of me so that I can still effectively do days two and three. Right. Same thing right? with, right, with the swim. Um, I can do 6,000 yards. Now, how do I do it more effectively? So that I can get in A, the last 1,000 yards, B, make this an enjoyable experience and not be completely shelled and miserable halfway through. But the first... Domino to fall is always getting the distance, the activity, the desired outcome of, of of the event done, and then improving how you want to feel or observe yourself doing it.
1: It's it's you break it down so simply, um, but it's I think for most athletes that are you know like me in the beginning of this journey. There's so much to think about. It's overwhelming, yeah. but we it need is to first the distance.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. First, different, uh-huh. and and I'm not saying that you need to do the entire distance. Uh-huh. I'm saying in most cases you want to just be confident that you can do the distance. You have enough insight and input, you know, that you can do the same thing with the the fifty k, right? do 24, 25 miles, you can see yourself and extend yourself and envision yourself doing that last six. So now, how do I do that? You know, how do I do the 24 better, stronger, smarter, more efficiently for me, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you want to first have confidence to do the distance, that's, that's the main thing. And then you start putting the logistics together and infrastructure together to do your curated event or the race or whatever so that you can then do it smarter better stronger faster
1: i like it i like it this has helped me tremendously good so thank you very much
0: well don't hesitate to send some questions or an email or here there you know that's what i'm available for now that we've had this conversation awesome well, I really appreciate it. Of course, of course. And then, um, yeah, get through that winter. That will be the key, too. And a lot of what I talk about on the podcast, I would, if I were you, especially mm-hmm. in a difficult winter, in your location, in your climate, I would yeah. focus on month end goals of things I want to, where I want to be at the end of November, where I want to be at the end of December. And it could even be, let's say you're recovering from the marathon, where you say, at the end of November, I want to be healthy, I want to be mentally fresh, I want to have take make I took two weeks off completely, right? Mm-hmm. Those are all part of where I want to be at the end of the month. And then maybe by the end of December, you say, okay, I want to have successfully absorbed my strength routine maybe not be at my strongest, but I understand the motions. I'm not sore anymore from them. I'm seeing how they effectively translate to my running, cycling, or swimming, whatever it is, and um, have be at a fitness level that I can then start doing some work from whatever. Then by January, end of January, I wanna be feeling quite strong with my strength program and have integrated Running and cycling effectively into a weekly plan so that it doesn't fatigue me as much. So that means I'm doing strength and and I'm still able to do an effective cycling and running workout. And then as we're coming into the spring, February, March, we're starting to connect longer workouts or endurance to it. Or you know, I would like at the end of February to have done one, you know, whatever, four-hour trainer ride in order Mm -hmm. to prepare me for a five-hour ride outdoors in April or, you know, by then, you know, so set yourself goals for the end of the month, because um, when the dark months come, you want to at least have something to shoot for that ties into the string of a North Star. So I say the string because if if you envision a long rope and long, along that string or rope, you have these individual markers. The rope's still going to someplace else, but at least you're hitting all those knots along the way.
1: I love that. Not kidding. I have like a whole, I burned through a whole notebook here in the last hour. So thank you.
0: Good. Good. Well, you then have a great day.
1: You too. I appreciate your time. And um, so I will look at the um, tests for the um, running and cycling the zone testing yeah. after the marathon it's on my site yeah be in touch after that yeah uh, for sure perfect have well, a great marathon and if you have
0: some questions with the marathon don't hesitate to just fling over an email throw That's it over true. the fence just think <laughs> and hope something comes in return just awesome. throw it over there
1: <laughs> oh and logistically on um, is there a PayPal link or some website Yeah, I'll, go? S-
0: I'll send it to you
1: okay perfect of, of okay. course Thank you very much. Have a great day. Have
0: a good day. Bye-bye. Okay, so I hope you enjoyed that. I think you can understand why I liked that one. It was a good conversation, a good back and forth, a good way to sort of not generalize, but to dive into some of the concepts with a real live person (laughs) that um, I talk about so often on the podcast. So have a great week, everybody. And um, yeah, many more things to come. I have so much backed up here that uh, I just want to keep getting these podcasts out to you so thank you as always this one's almost two hours long so um, thank you for listening thank you for your feedback keep sending me questions and insights and please also negative feedback what i could be doing better what you would like to see more of on the show and so forth the show (laughs) so all right thank you and have a great week